Welcome to another edition of The Plunge. And we are just fresh off a Super Bowl finale. And it wasn't quite the ending that Nate and I both expected. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they destroy the Chiefs 31-9. They hold Patrick Mahomes to zero touchdowns. Zero touchdowns. Um, and that surprised all of us. And so uh, let's start off, Nate. What surprised you about this game? And what do you expect from these teams moving forward? I think I got what I deserved with this one. I bet against the Bucks in pretty much every single game in the playoffs. And they have Tom Brady. And I don't know how I didn't think about Tom Brady being the greatest of all time for for, <laughs> for this entire playoff run. But I continued to ignore that. And I pretty much got what I deserved. This Bucks team played well on defense. They obviously got to Mahomes a ton. I think he was, he was pressured on 57% of his dropbacks in the first half, at least. He was just running for his life. And the the kind of key takeaway from this game is that even in the NFL you can always see it in college football but in the NFL most games are won in the trenches and this defensive line destroyed the Kansas City offensive line Mahomes tried the best he could to make something out of nothing on all these plays and it's it's a tough loss for Mahomes and the Chiefs I think looking forward to next season I expect the Chiefs to be better. Um, They're going to come in with a fresh offensive line. They're going to come in with a renewed passion to actually want to win regular season games and prove that they're the best again. And then moving forward for the Bucs, expect more of the same for one more year. They'll probably be top dogs. Although, watch out for uh, Jameis Winston and the Saints. I... I don't know if they'll actually be great, but I'm so excited for Jameis Winston to possibly get that starting spot again with uh, with <laughs> Drew Brees gone. I mean, defensive player of the year last year, Jameis Winston. <laughs> he uh, It'll be fun to watch the Saints and the Bucks play in that division all season, but I would say that the Bucks are going to be a top three team, even if they don't show it in the regular season. They'll be a top three team in the NFC again next season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, bo- both of us got what we deserve, just like David Jacoby on Jalen Jacoby today, where he had to dress up as a clown because he bet against Tom Brady. Um, Clearly, I did not do that it's because that's just such a, a, a dumb thing to do, dress up as a clown. But anyways, <laughs> um, Mah- Patrick Mahomes, he ran for... 497 yards before throwing the ball or nearly getting sacked and and that's the highest total of any quarterback in 2020 and that that's just a testament to show that they really lost this game because of their offensive line like literally every possession it you just see the entire pocket collapse on Mahomes and he just did everything he could to get passes off and and you know sure Travis Kelsey got his touches but they were nowhere near the end zone. There there was nowhere near any clear opportunity for the Chiefs to really capitalize when they're in the red zone, what, like two or three times the entire game. And credits to the Bucks defense too as um, they, they kind of held the Chiefs down in, in that aspect. So, yeah, it, I, I'm just disappointed in the Chiefs, um, but they still got a, a lot of years under Mahomes and a lot of opportunities in the years to come. So yeah, I'm not too worried about them. Don't let this game convince you guys who are, who are out there listening that – Patrick Mahomes isn't what he's been advertised to be like man he was doing some crazy things out there and I'm not gonna waver on my stance of he has the talent and he has the mentality to be the greatest of all time I mean 
this Chiefs team will probably be the Super Bowl favorite again next year. So don't take too much out of this game. They were hurt. They were beat up. And Tampa Bay is a team who is really good. And I doubted that all season. But don't be worried about Patrick Mahomes and where he stands after this game. He's still the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on from the Super Bowl, the Kings, they have won uh, seven of their past nine games. And what I was wondering is, what surprised you most about this Kings team so far this season? Well, I, I think it's probably Tyrese Halliburton and, and really even just De'Aaron Fox too. Like those two guys really have been carrying the team the entire way through their, their nine-game stretch of winning seven out of nine. Like you watch Fox the past few games, he's he scored 34, 36, 28, 26, 38, 30. Like he's been averaging like literally 30 points a game in the past like six or seven games. And when you watch him play, like he he's almost close to that that impression of him being unguardable. Like he's just so fast. And then when you see him accelerate to the rim, the defender is just so scared of him blowing past him that he he is just his back his momentum is just shifted backwards. And then when Fox gets you on the backpedal, he just stops and has that nice turnaround fade. Like, he, he really improved his mid-range this year. Like, he, you just see him turn around fade on, like, a, a foul, a free-throw line jump shot. And it, it just goes in. I'm like, man, this Fox guy, like, he really um, expanded his game in the dimension of just the mid-range and how just how, how he's been just such a revelation to the Sacramento Kings. And, and especially after their horrid start to the season, like... People are just saying, oh, man, Luke Walton's such a bad coach. Like, what is he doing with his rotations? But, you know, I think they do have, a, like, a set of really good players like Harrison Barnes. He's probably the NBA's most forgotten player of all time. Um, but he's been putting up good numbers. He's been really solid for them. And we talked about Hal Burton last week in terms of just how, how like, he's just so fun to watch. And he already developed that NBA IQ um, for the game defensively and offensively, despite the, the wicked jump shot he has. But even then, like... I'm just so impressed to see De'Aaron Fox just really um, lead the team in scoring, really carry that team, and I, I'm excited to where this team is going to do. It's clear to me that there's two ways to really be an effective scorer in the NBA, and one of them has been shown through through LeBron now, through Luka now, like playing at your own pace and just getting to your spots, being smart, outplaying a defender mentally. And then there's just, you were faster than the other guy in front of you and you get to the basket and you score. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily play at that calm, control everything type of pace, but he beats you to the basket. And that's why he's been, he's been great against all types of defenders lately. Like Kawhi was guarding him. Uh, Matisse Thibel did a good job on him. They played uh, the, the 76ers the other night. And he did a good job down the stretch, but he was still super effective in that game. He's passing while well, he's finding his guys. He breaks down defenses so much because of that ability to drive. And then you have guys who on the perimeter like Buddy Heald, um, who continues to shoot it well. I mean, he's not the greatest player in the world. He doesn't really play make. He doesn't really play great defense, but he can shoot the ball. And then Halliburton, who's that, that secondary playmaker... He's like what LeBron has searched for all these years when they were talking about in the Cavs years when he was playing with no one once Kyrie left and he needed yep. another playmaker. Like when you're talking about needing another playmaker, Halliburton is the kind of guy you look for, you know, like 
he is a I don't demand the ball but when I have the ball I can make a play for someone else and I almost always make the right play and then you got hustle guys and in uh, Rashawn Holmes and even Hassan Whiteside has given some good minutes at times although I think that the uh, Brooklyn Nets should look into Whiteside because oh possibly yeah they need a really good uh not really good player in the paint Hassan isn't great at this (laughs) point but they need size and they need blocking ability so I would watch out for that but um yeah this this Sacramento team plays together well Luke Walton after refusing to play Halliburton, probably their second best player in my opinion, for over 25 minutes a game for the first quarter of the season, he finally was just like, oh, okay, when I play Halliburton 35 minutes a game, we win. So I should play him yeah. 35 minutes a game. And so in yeah. that sense, it's like this Kings team didn't play to their talent before because they weren't playing their talent correctly. And now Luke Walton's kind of like, okay, maybe Tom Thibodeau's got something over there playing his starters 38 (laughs) minutes a game. Let me try that. So I'm excited for this Kings team moving forward. It just makes this Western Conference so much deeper too because you you almost never get an off night now. Yeah, so let's focus on their future right now. So currently they're just out of the playoff spot. They're 12 and 12, ninth in in the West. And... I'm looking at their stats and they're last in defensive rating, allowing 116 points per game. And so um, let's look at their front court. Like they got Rashawn Holmes and he really developed that push shot of his like a couple feet from the rim. And and everyone's saying like, yeah, that's a legit shot for him now. And and Hassan Whiteside, like, yeah, he's the, the reason why I think Luke Walton wasn't really giving him minutes in the rotation is that. They, they, the Kings just run at such a fast pace with Fox on the floor and there's no way Whiteside keeps up with them. And so... Um, what what are your thoughts in terms of what what, what are they going to do this year? Are they really going to make a playoff push or, or what's going to happen? Well, I think you kind of have to with this team. There's no real, you're not really building around pieces other than Halliburton who will continue to improve, but also he's already a contributor now. It's not like he's a project. He contributes on the floor every second he's on the floor. And so in that sense, it's like, There's no waiting around, really, if you're the Kings, because De'Aaron Fox is improving. Buddy Heal has stayed the same for the past five years. Holmes is kind of improving, but he's kind of just a hustle player. And then Barnes, obviously, has plateaued for the most part. Um, So in that sense, you look at this team, and, and there's no reason not to try and make a playoff push. And then you you have to take into account that this is going to be probably what the West is like for the next five years. It's going to be this pack. Maybe the Lakers fall off or maybe another team falls off. But the talent is there to remain this way for the next five years. So there's no sense delaying a playoff push. So maybe they go out and try and trade Whiteside for a piece that could contribute now if a team needs a center or something like that. I think this team will push for the playoffs. I don't know if they'll make it, but I definitely said, like, at the start of the season, we talked about it. They're a play-in team, maybe not a playoffs team. Yeah, for sure. Um, And one last thing, Marvin Bagley. He's always going to be seen as the guy who got picked over Doncic. And this year, he's averaging 12.5 points a game, 7 rebounds a game. 
um, shooting, I think, 47 from the field, 37 from three. So if you're the Kings, what do you do with this guy? Do you think do you think he's a lost cause for the Kings? Or, or do you think he really has some potential left to really be relevant in this league? I don't see him as a relevant player with this Kings team. Aside from, yeah, he'll be a rotational piece. Like, he is talented enough to be a rotational piece. He grabs enough boards. He does enough on the floor. When he played Philly the other night, he hit a couple jumpers. He was playing well against Embiid for a bit. And he does have have the skill level. And obviously, he was highly touted in university. And he can flourish. But Sacramento is a place where he'll always be relegated to that. You're not the number one scorer. You're not the number two scorer. You'll always be kind of a, a secondary piece. So if he wants to excel, he might have to go to another team where they're devoid of anything at the power forward slash center position. So I don't think he'll develop into, well, obviously he'll never he'll never reach the heights of Luka or Trey Young who was drafted <laughs> after him. But he yeah. could be an impactful player in the NBA still. So it's kind of up in the air, but... We'll have to wait and see. I know his dad wants him to be traded, so we'll see what <laughs> happens at the deadline. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so moving on uh, to another low-level competing team in the Eastern Conference. LaMelo Ball, he continues to impress with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, he's been on fire lately after Devontae Graham has gone out with an injury and he's been starting for the Hornets the past few games. And man, like his numbers are just going up. And so he continues to impress with Charlotte. Um, is he rookie of the year? And more importantly, where does he rank among the point guards in the NBA? I'm not going to list out all the point guards in the NBA because there are a lot of great point guards. But I would say somewhere around 10 to 12 at this point. And if you watch LaMelo Ball, his production is so effortless. Like, He's not a great three-point shooter, but he hits threes. He's so confident in every aspect of his game that he continues to find ways to produce and be effective for his team. And since he's been starting, I think their net rating has gone up. Their plus-minus has gone way up. They've won more games. And he's just been such a... He came into the league as such a argue, like argued-upon um, prospect where people were like, how much does feel to a game translate to success in the NBA? Because you could tell he had a great feel for the game in Australia. And it's so clear nowadays, like you look at players who, who have had a great IQ and feel for the game, even if in this draft, like Halliburton, he had such a great feel for the game. LaMelo clearly has a great feel for the game. Even a guy like Peyton Pritchard has a really good feel for the game. And that translates almost immediately to the NBA because, yeah, you're facing tougher defense, but you're also, you're at a point where you understand what happens all places on the court. So if guys are a little faster and guys are a little stronger, it doesn't really bother you because you're still making all those same reads and you're still understanding where the open guy is, where my shots can come from. And that's what's so clear to me like his anticipation has been great he's been racking up steals and he he is the centerpiece of this charlotte team and after all the hate they got in this offseason like w what a weird contract for gordon hayward people were saying 
And now you're looking at Charlotte and you're like, wow, this team is, they've got something. Like Gordon Hayward is is one of those veterans. He's like the opposite of DeMar DeRozan where he does not <laughs> demand the ball in his hands at all times at all. Like he plays on that perimeter, waits for the pass, and then he, he operates from there. And that's so good for the development of young players just because LaMelo is allowed by that franchise to feel out the game entirely. And Charlotte is going to reap the benefits of that for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, LaMelo Ball has really shown his floor and his ceiling all at the same time this season where... Like in terms of his floor, you you look at him and it's like, okay, sure, backup point guard to the Hornets, who already have two good young stars in Rozier and Graham, um, good playmaker, you know, athletic, uh, knows the game well. But then you also you, you have seen like spurts of his ceiling, like he he got a triple double earlier this season, and now he's averaging like I think six assists or something, and and you you see like how like even yeah on the court like his NBA IQ is just developing every game. Um, and, and the only concern that we all have of him is just his turnover rate. Like he's averaging two and a half turnovers a game. And even James Borrego is just saying like, I can't keep you on the floor if you keep turning the ball over. And so I, I really don't think that's too big of a concern for, for him in terms of his career. I think it's more of just figuring things out in the NBA. Like, look, this is his first season in the NBA amidst a COVID season. And so um, it, it will take time for him to really navigate his way in terms of how to take the care, how to take care of the ball. Um, and I think, of course, he needs to improve in his shooting, although he's shooting 35% from, from three. Um, but when you have guys like Rogier, Graham and Hayward, and you, that, that literally sets the stage for LaMelo to really handle that offense and to distribute that ball to open shooters and him and Miles Bridges, that, that duel is insane. Like the amount of lobs that he throws to Bridges this season and, and how much, how much force Bridges throws the ball down to the rim it's just insane to me. <laughs> yeah, Miles Bridges isn't good a lot, but he is a, he is a very impressive dunker. And he's kind of got that, like, Zion's a better player, don't get me wrong, but he's got that last year's Lonzo and Zion connection going with LaMelo right now. And that's it's really fun to watch. And it makes the Hornets like a team where you're flipping through the channels or... Um, whatever whatever you watch on and you're finding yourself wanting to watch a bit more of this Hornets team because of all those explosive players who aren't great players but they put up highlights pretty quickly so yeah I mean and and people people always say like oh the Hornets are so fun to watch because Lamella Ball is in their team but a lot of people forget Miles Bridges is also the benefactor of of his lobs and and their highlight reels like I think people forget how how good of a, a dunker miles bridges is and even an athlete himself and i think just the stardom of lamella ball kind of overshadows him so i think um yeah i think people should should appreciate miles bridges more for for getting the hornets back on the map of national tv games <laughs> um so so will lamella ball win rookie of the year is this clear cut for him or are, are guys like tyrese halliburton in, in the way of competing against him for rookie of the year I really like Halliburton, and Halliburton is going to be probably a great player. I don't know if he'll ever be an all-star, but he will be a winning player throughout his career. And that being said, the narrative is LaMelo, the the play is LaMelo, the, the, 
the electrifying uh, activity of Lamella makes him more watchable. And so, yeah, it's pretty much locked up that he's going to win rookie of the year at this point. Yeah, it's it seems so weird to me to say that LaMelo Ball is the front runner for, for uh, rookie of the year. Um, I think coming into this season, I, I would think James Wiseman or, or Edwards even would like actually compete for that that number one spot for rookie of the year but now they're nowhere near the conversation like you look at them they're just coming off the bench and just putting up mediocre numbers so i think yeah lamella ball is probably the clear cut for rookie of the year this year yeah yeah it'll be fun to see i mean james wiseman it's situational for him like he is a great player but he continues to be kind of relegated to that bench role well he's been out for a while but he's relegated to that bench role just because it's the Warriors, and they're they're a competitive team in the Western Conference. So, um, moving yeah. on, we're going to uh, enter a new segment that we call "Big Deal, Small Deal, and Deal or No Deal," which basically we're going to run through some uh, some topics of the week, and we're going to determine how big of a deal are these topics to uh, to these teams or these franchises moving forward. So. We'll start with this first one. The Pacers and Celtics fall to around 500. For each team, is this a big deal, a small deal, or no deal? Okay, uh, let's start with the Pacers. Um, I I think it's a, a small to big deal for them. Um, just because when you watch them play, they had such a great start to the season. Like Sabonis was just putting like monster numbers on the stat sheet, and Brogdon was just shooting the lights out. But now you, they're now now when you see them play, Brogdon misses like 13 field goals a game. His his field goal percentage just goes down. And you know, I think they they really have some good pieces on this team. Like they I remember they ran their bench unit against the Pelicans in the fourth quarter, trying to make a comeback. And they they came within. They they were up like three or four near the end, and. And they played their entire bench the entire quarter without Sabonis, without Brogdon. And they had the Holiday Brothers, Doug McDermott, Goga Batazzi, who's like this seven-foot monster. I mean, like their their bench is, is very, very capable of actually like putting up good production numbers. Um, but I think the problem for the Pacers is that they really don't have that lethal point guard or that lethal shooting guard. Like sure, Brogdon's a good player. He run he ran he won Rookie of the Year. Is probably the most overrated Rookie of the Year in that in that draft class. I remember, but um, he 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 is not really a true point guard. And when when you watch them play, they run their offense through Sabonis, and so um, and Sabonis doesn't always look for Brogdon to to get that pick and roll at the end of the shot clock. He just finds whoever's open, and so because of that, you don't really have a go to offensive threat. I mean, and and, and Sabonis is really kind of a, a weird guy, actually. When I've heard people say like, he he really picks his matchups, and it's really, and he plays at the f- power forward position because Miles Turner's on the floor, and so when he matches up against power forwards in the post, of course he he gets those um, easy putbacks and bunnies. But when you go up go up against guys like Drummond or guys like or, or Davis, you know. Um, he he really does not have anything in his offensive repertoire. Like he's a good passer, he's a good finisher, but his hook shot is just so off. And so I, I think because of that, it, it is a bit of a concern where you don't have that number one offensive threat. Like, but just because the scoring is just so evenly distribu- distributed um, throughout the entire team. Yeah, well, I'll move on to Boston then. I'm gonna say no deal for Boston. Boston is a deep team with with 
two of the best small forwards in the league, in my opinion, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Kemba's coming back from injury. He struggled, and that may be worrisome to some people, but I'm not too worried. I mean, Kemba's a veteran, and he's played a lot of years and put up great stats, and they have Pritchard coming off the bench. Marcus Smart has been out. This team is better than you expect, and so from that standpoint, I say this is no deal because they're going to continue to win games, and they're probably going to finish it with a uh, home court advantage for the playoffs. So I'm going to say no deal on the uh, Celtics. I'm going to agree with you on the Pacers that it is a small to big deal, depending on when Levert and TJ Warren return. Yeah, I think um, for the Pacers, I think TJ Warren's that guy you need back soon because all he does is just score. He doesn't, and, and he just has that offensive mentality. Just go to the bucket every time. I don't think I don't think Karis Levert will come back this season. There's never really been reports of his timeline, but. Um, and, and that's really unfortunate because you need a guy like Levert to, to just really get a bucket when you need him to, because you can't really go to Sabonis, like go, go post up and, and, and get a layup against Anthony Davis, right? That that's probably not going to happen. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about the Pacers, but, uh, they won't slip too far into the standings. So, and, and the thing with Boston, like, I think we've been saying all season, Kemba Walker is probably the X factor of this team. Um, how, how is he going to play after his his knee injury and is he even still recovering and also an underlying headline Jalen Brown has knee tendonitis and I've read a couple articles on him and and they're saying it's a concern but I think that the best remedy for it is to rest so I think um, with the Celtics trying to compete for a a good playoff spot they kind of have to balance that with resting guys like Brown who need that rest for the playoffs and so um, that'll, that'll be a very interesting headline to, to to look at throughout the season. But yeah, I agree with you as well with Boston. It's not too big of a deal. Brad Stevens is one of the best coaches in the league. He knows how to put guys in the right positions to win. Like Semi Ojale, I, I forgot how many points he scored against the Raptors, but <laughs> like I was looking at his stats. I think he had 24. <laughs> and yeah, I think the, the after the first quarter, he scored like 14 points. I'm like, oh my goodness. who? <laughs> this, this guy has been playing for the Celtics for like three years, and all of a sudden he just comes up with a 20 bomb. Like, who is this guy? Um, anyways, um, Russell Wilson. Sounds off on the Seahawks pass protection and teams start calling about him. So is this a big deal, small deal, or no deal in terms of Wilson and where he's going to go? I'm going to go with big deal. Russell Wilson is, he has been my favorite quarterback for the past five years because I love the Seahawks. And he, he always had that winner's mentality, you know, like he doesn't care what happened in the regular season. He doesn't care how his team did. When he walks into that playoff, if the ball is in his hand to end the fourth quarter on a winning drive, it's a done deal. You know, like he never lost. And then this year, he got absolutely destroyed by a Rams team who they had Jared Goff coming off that injury to his hand and they really had no source of offense and he just got stifled by the defense. And you can blame that on on play calling, on on receivers and whatever, but I don't I have this feeling that he kind of just lost his his drive a bit and he has other things he's been focusing on. He's got his podcast, he's got his wife and they go to all these events together and to hear a guy like him who almost never said a word come out and publicly complain about this pass this 
uh, sorry, this offensive line when he's taking 35 million a year. Like, if you wanted something to change with that offensive line, look at Tom Brady. He took 10 million a year for how many years in New England? Like, you yeah. can't be complaining about how much uh, they're not paying the offensive line when all that money is going towards you instead of that offensive line, right? And and so, yes, I think this is a big deal because the Seahawks are going to... I wouldn't predict that they'll trade him, but he's not a career Seattle lock like I thought he was. He is kind of giving me that at the right price, he would be traded by the franchise and they would move in a different direction. So... This is a big deal, and it's a storyline that the next couple weeks it'll probably unravel more, either in a good way or a bad way for this for this franchise. Yeah, it's I think it's a bigger deal than most people think, and and you, you can't deny the fact that he probably said it, it. It's not a coincidence that he said this after the Chiefs lose the Super Bowl because of their offensive line. He and and he even lost himself to the Rams because of their offensive line. So you you could clearly tell that. It's a concern for for a guy like him who wants to be on a team that wants to win a championship and is a position to do so. And so I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a big deal. Um, it's it's a big deal than most people think. So, Yeah, I, I'm going to continue to watch this storyline because he's been the face of that franchise ever since the Legion of Boom died. So it'd be a surprise to see him traded. But at the same time, I don't think Seattle's as enamored with him as they have been for a long time so moving on from this uh Brooklyn loses three straight this week with a loss to the Pistons to cap that off although they won their last game but is it a big deal small deal or no deal that Brooklyn keeps on piling up losses I think it's a small deal um you know their their defense is is still going to be as atrocious as it has been um but when you have like what we said before, when you have Kyrie, KD, and and James Harden on the same team, like you you always have a chance to win every game, and and sure they they lost because KD wasn't here the past week, um, but and, and the trade deadline's coming up too, so you could and, and they have been possibly getting, um, trade rumors of getting a big like Drummond, or or Whiteside even, and so I think, they they'll be okay. It they they will. It, with the defense that that is this horrid, you expect this team to lose more games than than you think they would. So I think it's a small deal. I think it's a small to big deal, uh, just because you can see how much this team relies on Durant, who missed all of last season, and Kyrie and Harden don't really have great chemistry together. They are going to struggle when Durant is out, and that is going to continue to be a trend for the rest of this season in my opinion yeah uh moving on the philadelphia 76ers they lose to a depleted blazers team is this a big deal small deal or no deal both for the sixers defense and the blazers recent success despite the injury so let's start with the sixers defense big deal small deal no deal big deal uh their team is built around being a tough perimeter or sorry a tough interior defense because Joel Embiid is a defensive player of the year candidate and Simmons can guard on the outside effectively but he's really good he's a very talented shot blocker for one because he's six foot ten and a point guard 
And two, he's he's really good at moving his feet to stop the drive. So when you have guys like Damian Lillard, even Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr. hitting those perimeter shots, it's like Seth Curry's got to guard someone, right? And and that's <laughs> even a, Danny Green. Yeah, Danny Green. I mean, Danny Green used to be a good defender, but you can ask the rest of my family. Last year would always say how terrible he was on the floor for the <laughs> Lakers, and I might agree with them. Um, but yeah, their perimeter defense, Matisse Thybul is an elite, elite perimeter defender, like maybe the best in the league, but he's averaging three points this season. So yeah. it's it's a tough trade-off. If he gets going, then no, it's not a it's not a big deal at all. But as he continues to struggle on offense, it's a big worry for this team because they are getting killed on the perimeter. And so matchup-wise, it'll be something to watch in the playoffs as they move forward. The way Matisse Thibault blocks shots from behind is just so special to an NBA player these days like the way he just has that vision and even the the preciseness to to touch the ball and not foul is just so impressive for me to watch and 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 when you you watch the film on defense when he's guarding the pick and roll like I think they always drop the big man when they're when they're guarding the pick and roll and and they can afford to do that because you have you have Embiid who's a good shot blocker and also Thibault and Simmons who could chase who could chase down and, and recover that fast. But when you watch the Blazers last night, they the Sixers gave up so many open lanes to the basket. And and I think teams are 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 aware that you can you can if you have a guy like Damian Lillard who draws doubles all the time, you can draw Joel Embiid to double. And that that opens a wide open lane or wide open three for on on the opposite end of the corner, and so and, and then when you skip the ball, you have, you have Danny Green and Seth Curry guarding the the other guys. So I think, yeah, I, Danny Green is just a washed up player. I hate to say it, um, no disrespect, but and and he he has been hitting his threes this year, but at the same time, like you, you just watch him get blown by, like on the ball every single time, and so. Um, yeah, so uh, moving on to the Blazers side of things, um, big deal, small deal, or no deal? Their recent success, despite all their injuries. I'm gonna lean to small deal on this one. I mean, they're they're a team who's gonna stay in that in that playoff race, which I thought they might fall out of just because you have the Mavericks who should be in the playoffs. You have uh, you have a lot of teams. In that 9-10 spot, like if the Rockets got healthy with Christian Wood being in, maybe they could make a run. But nonetheless, I think they are a 6-8 to eight team. And it's not a massive deal because I thought they were going to continue to have some success anyways. Like I've, I've kind of been saying, Gary Trent Jr. is a drop-off from CJ but not as big of a drop-off as you would tend to think. And then, uh, and then... Cantor brings the same offensive profile as Nurkic and Nurkic wasn't really playing much defense at the start of the year so they got worse with these injuries but not much worse so in that sense it's a a small deal to me because their team isn't going to improve by leaps and bounds when CJ and Nurkic come back yeah I think um when when you look at the media and how they they see the Blazers after the injuries. They're like, oh man, this it's over. Like this team is so trash. But really, when you look at the when you just look in deeper to this team, they're actually not too far off from from where they would be if their entire team is healthy. Like Cantor's a starting caliber player. 
Um, and and when you watch Gary Trent Jr., he's he's hitting so many threes. I think if we were to have a three point contest this year, I would totally um, advocate for Gary Trent Jr. to be in it because every time this man gets the ball, he's just he just has the green light every time, and and just that that just goes to say his his confidence and his, one more thing about Trent is that his ball handling is my level of ball handling in grade eight. Like when you watch the guy dribble, he he's like batting the ball up and down. Like you you literally see his hand like moving up and down. Like and his eyes are like literally staring at the ball, and then he just does his like two inch crossover. And like a one inch step back, <laughs> like it's it's as if he's trying to like make something up on the fly. It, it's so weird, but every time it works and it it creates space. So, man, Gary, whatever you're doing, it works. Just don't change it. Um, yeah, but I I also think it's a small deal for the Blazers. Um, you, you still got to give credit to them. Like Dame's been carrying the team. Their defense has been horrible, but they've been finding ways to win. Robert Covington has kind of actually gotten better. Made the clutch play at the last play of the fourth quarter to seal the game. Um, Derek Jones Jr., good, good athleticism dunk. He's he's missed so many dunks this year. Oh my goodness! And the amount of dunks that he missed that could have been the dunk of the year is just insane. But anyways, yeah, this this team is just it's still they're still fun to watch, and they're they're just waiting for CJ North to come back. But like you said, don't expect like too uh, too uh, big of a rise in their in, in how they play and 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 even just how many wins they get. So. Uh, moving on to our our last segment, which is kind of new, um, what uh, we're just gonna list a winner and a loser from this week in sports. So, uh, let's start with the the winner. So Steph Curry, Nate, why don't you talk about him? He's been averaging thirty points a game this season, and he's um, back in the MVP race this season after a bad start. A lot of people have been talking about how Kevin Durant robbed us of prime Steph Curry, and I would absolutely agree with that. Because Steph Curry is the most fun player I've ever watched in my entire life. He's just, he brings so much energy. It's like, you can be watching a Warriors game and you could think that there was a full crowd in that building just because his teammates are flipping out. He just brings such an excitement to the announcers and everyone in the building just feeds off of it. And so Steph Curry, big winner back in that MVP race and he's got the Warriors as the not the best team in the west but maybe the most fun to watch yeah for sure i mean it 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 just he he is not dropped off at all in terms of his career he's still in his prime like he said um dropped a 40 piece last night against the magic i think just the way he shoots the ball it's just it's a game changer and just watching him play over the past couple of games yet he scored 40 32 32 57 and so, yeah, our clear winner of the week has to go to Steph Curry. And the Warriors, they're winning a lot this week, so credits to them. Yep, players who have scored more than or hit more than 10 threes in NBA history, 17 games for Steph Curry, 5 for Klay Thompson in second place. So moving on from that, we got our loser of the week. And I'm going to hand this one off to you, but we are going to name the most pitiful franchise of the week in the Houston <laughs> Texans. <laughs> I I saw a tweet earlier today. Uh, someone said um, the Houston Texans will not be allowing any fans next year, and that's not because of COVID, but it's because it, they're the Houston Texans. <laughs> that's, that's just so funny, and that that's just such a great summary of just their downfall and how they just imploded this year. Where you just 
lose so many guys in their prime, starting with DeAndre Hopkins and then Deshaun Watson wants out. And now JJ Watt is what wants to be released and they part ways with the Texans. And it's like, Oh my goodness, what the heck happened to this team? Um, they're, they're probably going to be in the basement in the NFL next year. And so, and, and it, it is unfortunate because Deshaun Watson was looking to be your franchise player with, with the guy in JJ Watt, who still got some game left in him. And, and, and I think once you lost Hopkins, that was probably that, like I said, it was the start of the dominoes just kind of falling down and, and just really led to the implosion of this team. Yep. Just remember when you look at this Texans team who lost the face of their franchise and Watt and the quarterback, a top five quarterback of the future in Watson that one year ago or about one year ago, they were up 24, nothing on the chiefs. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to have these little segments. Um, we'll be sure to keep these around, of course, in the upcoming episodes. But, um, other than that, that's all we got for to this, uh, week's episode of the plunge. Um, let us know if you have any questions and, uh, until next time, we'll see you next episode.